Exodus 19 this morning. Exodus 19. As you guys are flipping there, I would like to share some very wise words from our very own Everett Garrison that I heard this morning. Uh, he was walking, uh, I was walking by, and he was pulling the stool that is underneath of the water fountain, and he pulled it out and just wanted to make sure that it was ready to go for any kids that might need it. And I walked by and I said, thank you for doing that. And he said, yeah, I just want to do the little things that help the church. It's the little things that matter. Um, and I was struck by that. I've, I've just been really uh, dwelling on recently how uh, each and every one of you contribute in so many different ways to this church. And a lot of them are little things. Uh, they're unseen things. They're things that don't get the spotlight. Uh, and so I just want you guys to know that I am incredibly thankful. Uh, I recognize that it takes all of us to be the church, to do things. I was struck yesterday. I, just, I came here yesterday, and there were two families that were here, not asked, didn't say anything, uh, just doing work around the facility. Uh, I know that you guys serve in so many different ways on Sunday mornings, throughout the week, uh, talking to your neighbors about the gospel, whatever it may be. I know there's so many different ways, so many different little things that you guys do uh, throughout the week, throughout the months um, that are unseen, unnoticed, but valuable, uh, and they matter. So I just want you guys to know uh, how incredibly thankful I am. It does, it does take the little things. Uh, Everett was right. The little things matter. So I just want you guys to know that. Uh, so again, we're going to be in Exodus 19 this morning. Exodus 19. We're currently in our Advent series called Great Expectations, which before, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The kids' question of the week this morning is, can you name a way that humans, that we try to find significance? Can you name a way that we try to find significance? So we can leave that up on the screen for uh, the kids to write down. Um, so again, we're in, our, we're in our Advent series this morning called Great Expectations. So we've been walking through the covenants of the Bible. We've seen how the covenants can form the backbone of the Bible. It helps to, it helps to inform the storyline of the Bible. A covenant is a binding agreement. It's different from a contract. It's not about business, and it's not just broken on business terms. It's personal, and it's not meant to be broken. And so far, we've taken a look at the covenants between God and Noah and God and Abraham. And we've looked at what the covenant is, what it says, but then we've also taken a look at what the deeper meaning behind it is. And what it says about the overall human experience. You see, we each have different desires, expectations, or whatever it may be, experiences. And they often go unfulfilled or partially fulfilled. And the covenants help us to see what exactly these desires are. And after we've seen what the covenants show us about the human experience, with Noah we saw it was about our purpose. With Abraham we saw that we were made to belong. We've, we've looked at those, and then we've seen how we fall short, how Israel fell short as well. But then we've seen how Jesus fulfills the covenant, and how he satisfies the desire or experience that we have. Uh, with Noah, we saw that he gives us real purpose. He redeems and restores our purpose back to us. And with Abraham, we saw that we belong to God through Jesus, and belong to each other through Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant between God and Moses. It's the longest and most complicated of all the covenants. In all honesty, it's actually basically from Exodus 19 until the end of Exodus. The entire book of Leviticus and most of Deuteronomy contains the Mosaic Covenant. 
So we're not going to read through all of that this morning. We'd be here for days, for weeks. Um, but we are going to look at Exodus 19. You see, the reason the Mosaic Covenant is, is so long is because it's the law of God. Yes, that law. The law that is talked about in the New Testament. The law that we understand as bearing weight on our shoulders. The law that the Pharisees took way too far. The law that honestly sounds a little boring. I mean, think about it. When we think about the Old Testament law, it just feels like a list of do's and don'ts. Don't eat this. You can eat this. Don't dress like this. Dress like this. You can't do this, but he actually can't do it. And so it seems like a list of do's and don'ts, which seems boring. If you've ever done a uh, read through the Bible in a year, it's honestly at this point where we typically fall off. I've been there. I've done it. Start reading through about priestly garments and sacrifices and things like that, and we just get lost, and it just feels foreign. It feels irrelevant. And so the question as we read it is, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? I think a better question is, what's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant? If we read the entire law, what, what's the purpose of it? It does us no good to read the whole list of do's and don'ts without a purpose. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 19 this morning, which if you'll flip one page over, you'll see that Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments, at the premier list of do's and don'ts. But the Ten Commandments don't, don't mean anything if we don't have Exodus 19. Because in Exodus 19, God tells Moses why he's giving Israel the law in the first place. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read Exodus 19, 1 through 8. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for all of it. For the fact that all of it is relevant, that it speaks into our lives, Lord, not generically, but specifically, uniquely, speaks into each and every one of our lives. Lord, we all have various circumstances going on in life. Lord, and you know us. You know what's going on in those, and your word speaks to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work through me, Spirit, that you would work through me. Lord, that your word would continue to abound. Lord, that it would change us. Lord, that it would encourage us, that it would continue to shape us so that we can find our joy and satisfaction in you and you alone, Lord, and that we can live out of that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. And so I'm going to read Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. It says, In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord, Yahweh, called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob, and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, 
although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded, responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. Now, this is important. This is important. Have you guys ever been told to do something that seems like just doesn't make sense or it's weird or something just doesn't line up, but they won't tell you why you're supposed to do it? It leads to you not, not really wanting to do it. There's no motivation for you to do it. But if the person giving you orders tells you the reason why you're doing it and it starts to make sense, you'll have a motivation to do what you're being told to do. And that's what this passage is. That's what Exodus 19 is for the Mosaic Law. It helps to set the entire context of the law. It's, it's the purpose behind it. Take a look at verse 5 again. It says, Now if you carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. What is that saying? It's saying that if the Israelites keep the law, right, that's what it says, keep my covenant, then they will be the distinct people of God. Out of all the nations that exist on earth, they will be the people who get to claim the title God's own possession out of all the peoples. They will be God's kingdom, as we see in verse 6. And will be God's nation, as we also see in verse 6. Put in simpler terms, they will know what it is to be significant. The definition of significance is the quality of being worthy of attention or importance. Israel would be worthy of attention because they, they would be God's people. Just like a kid feels like the most important person on the planet when their parents are giving them attention, so Israel would be important because the creator and the ruler of the universe would give, him, give them his attention and call them his own. And not only that, but they would be significant among the peoples of the earth because they would be God's priests or mediators between God and the rest of humanity. And they would be holy, meaning they'd be set apart, distinct. They alone would be different from the rest of the world. And this is important for us. This matters for us. Because the desire to be significant is ingrained within each and every one of us. It's different from purpose. Our purpose is just doing what we were made to do. Significance is being deemed important or special. It's being noticed. It's approval. It's being valued. Now, if you don't believe me, if you think, ah, we don't actually all want significance, I encourage you to just take a walk through a neighborhood on a nice spring day. Odds are you won't make it more than 15 minutes before you hear a kid yelling, watch this, mommy, or look at me, daddy. From day one, we want to be noticed. We want to be important. We want to be valued. And I don't believe that this dies away with childhood. In his 2006 TED Talk titled, Why We Do What We Do, 
Tony Robbins, a pop psychologist and a life coach, stated that he believes that all humans live out of desire to fulfill six human needs. Now, there's a lot there. It's really interesting that we can't talk about, but particularly what I found interesting is that he claims significance is one of those human needs. A guy who's been around the world, seen all of these people, and he says that achieving a certain level of significance is a driving force in the lives of everyone, children and adults alike. Now, while not everything in the TED Talk is true, I don't agree with all of it, I do believe that Tony is on to something here. If you observe humanity, you can see that we all want to live a life that matters. We want to be valued or live a life that is important or, or worthy. And now we can go all over the map in trying to find significance, trying to find value in our lives. But I believe that we can categorize all of those ways into four categories. There's four categories in which we try to seek significance. First, first we seek significance in our performance. This is the one that probably comes to our minds when we think about seeking significance. This is what drives the athletes, the politician, the musician, the actor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best, or I'm going to do the best work. And now we uh, in this room might not be the one, top 1% of society, like the professional athlete or Hollywood actor. But we also seek significance through our performance. This comes out in workaholism, where we can't put down our work because it's what makes us feel special or valued or unique or worthy. We want to be the best that we can be and climb the ladder within our particular field. We give it our all so that we reach the top. It doesn't just come out in workaholics, but it comes out in moralism. We want to live the best. When our lives are compared to others, we want to be able to be better than others. This comes out when you constantly compare yourself to everyone else and think, eh, at least I'm not doing that. Or at least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? We find significance in living the most moral lives possible. This can actually even come out in Christian circles where our significance or value is determined by how much I do for others or how godly I live or how often I read the Bible and pray. So the first way that we seek significance is through performance. Another way that you might be seeking significance is through influence. We aren't necessarily concerned about being the best or, or living the best. We just want people to listen to us. And I, I didn't say hear, I said listen. We want people to hear what we have to say and then really understand and apply it. We want people to follow us. I think we've really seen this taken a rise with social media. A lot of us determine our worth by likes or followers. Even if you don't have social media, I think this still comes out in everyday life. We may be constantly seeking the high of someone affirming our advice and then telling us later on how good that was or how life-changing that was. And when no one is listening to what we have to say, then we don't feel unique or valued. Again, this, this can come out in Christianity as well. Our significance may be determined by how many people we've converted or how many people we've discipled. So we seek significance through performance. We seek it through influence. Third, we, we seek significance in accumulation. We want to have the most 
or have the best. This can come out in materialism, where we just want the most stuff or the best stuff. We want the nice house, the nice clothes, the nice car, the nice whatever. It can also come out in intellectualism. We want to know the most about something or everything. We want to be the expert. And we find our value in knowing that we know more than everyone else in the room. We want to be recognized for, for what we have or for what we know. Again, can come out in Christianity. Finding your worth or your value in how much you know about the Bible or theology or whatever else it is in, in Christianity. So we seek it through performance, through influence, through accumulation. And finally, we also might seek significance through destruction. Now, it sounds like a lot, and you may automatically say, ah, that's not me. However, it can look like tearing down others to prop yourself up, to make yourself feel better. It can mean that you tear down others because you're afraid that their accomplishments are overshadowing yours, or just to remind them that you're better. It can also come out by crying out for attention, maybe through, through grumbling or, or through complaining, so that everyone is paying attention to your problems and they remind you of your worth or value. It can also mean, if you want to go to the extreme, it can mean that you partake in destructive behaviors so that you can get the attention that you crave, that you can find significance in that, and people can come along and remind you of your, your worth, your dignity, and your value. Again, this has a Christian version. We're complaining about sin or bad things in our lives without actually trusting the Lord or actually doing anything to fight sin. And now, the problem with each of these is that they actually do provide a burst of significance at first. They really do. I don't want to make it out like they don't provide any sort of significance. They really do make you feel significant for a time. Think about it. More often than not, within our culture, performance works. You may not become the NBA player or the president of the United States, but if you continue to give all of your life to working hard and doing what needs to be done, more often than not, you will find yourself at the top of your field. You can work your way up the ladder. With influence, you can find enough people who will listen to you. You just maintain enough of a social media presence or just continue to put your opinion out there, and there will, there will be people that will listen to you. With accumulation, you can accumulate a lot of things. You can work hard, earn money, and gain a lot of nice things. You can also, in this day and age, there's information that is out there galore. You could find whatever you wanted to and become the expert in a particular field. And people will probably notice. People will probably notice and show some admiration. And with destruction, if you break it down enough and if you break down enough and cry out for help, you'll find people who continue to run to your side. There are people that want to help others, and they'll be there to soothe you, to give you attention, to remind you of your worth and value. It doesn't take much. The problem is, each of these just provides a burst of significance, a false, fleeting feeling. Even the good things eventually fail us when we make them God things, when we make them ultimate and the thing that defines our worth and our value. We can perform and work our way all the way to the top, 
only to realize that it isn't what we thought. It's not fulfilling. I remember an interview with Tom Brady after, uh, a, after he won the Super Bowl. The thing that he'd been chasing after his entire life, and the number one question that he had afterwards was, what now? What now? He didn't know what to do with his life. We can gain influence in people's lives and find that people listen to us. But then we get caught up in the rat race of always living for others and chasing that high, not ever being able to settle in a place of fulfillment. We can accumulate really nice things only to realize that they don't provide the level of satisfaction that we want and there's something better that's out there. And then again, we hop on the treadmill searching for the next thing to fulfill us. It actually never delivers on its promise. And we can continue to grumble and complain and destroy our lives until the day that people catch on and they stop showing up. And you're left unsatisfied because you've, you've wasted your life away. And so we're left asking, where do we go? What do we do? We want to feel valuable. We want to feel special. But it all lets us down. Is that all that there is? Are we just supposed to be left unfulfilled? Now, it's funny. Israel, the ones to whom God spoke in Exodus 19, they were the ones who were promised real significance, eternal significance, and yet they didn't get it. The promises made to Israel in Exodus 19 were made on the condition that they keep the law, that they kept the covenant that God gave them, and they failed massively. Then they tried to seek significance in their own ways within these categories, and they, they failed then too. And so they were left looking, left seeking, and they were left asking a question as well. It just was a slightly different question than what we ask. And the question was, who can keep the Mosaic Covenant? Who can follow the law like we're supposed to? Because it's only then that we would achieve a life of satisfied significance. It's only by keeping the law of God that one can really live a life of value, a special life. But as they looked around, they realized that there was no one that could keep the law. Now the psalmist in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, both of them looked around and said, there's no one good, not even one. No one can keep the law of God. So can no one find true significance? Are we left on our own to just run the rat race? The good news of the Bible is that no. We are not left on our own. Instead, we read that the Son of God himself stepped out of the throne room of God and was born into the world as a real flesh and blood human. He humbled himself to the point of having his diaper changed. And then he grew up. But not as, a, not as a normal human being, not grumbling or complaining or talking back or any of the other things that kids may do or that we may do. He didn't learn the hard way. Instead, he never once sinned. He kept the law of God perfectly. He kept the Mosaic Covenant perfectly. He was the only one who could and ever can keep the covenant between God and Israel all the way through. And you may say, well, that's great, Cody. Good for Jesus. What does that have to do with me? He earned a life, life of significance. Obviously, he lived a life of significance. But what does that mean for me? Well, Jesus didn't just live according to the Mosaic Covenant. He did that and more. 
He went to the cross to take on our sin. The idols that we have, the ways that we fall short of the Mosaic covenant of the law of God, he took on the punishment that we deserved for that. He put himself in our place and took on the punishment that we deserved. But that didn't just leave us in neutral. Instead, by taking on our negative consequences for disobeying the law, he transferred his positive consequences for obeying the law of God to us. He gave us righteousness, which means that he gave us real, lasting significance. When God looks at us, he sees us as fulfilling the covenant of Moses, which means that these three things are true of us, as all you have to do is just let go of what you've been chasing after. He calls you to turn from chasing significance and other things and to instead fall at his feet and recognize his significance. He asks you to believe that he is God himself and that he really has taken on your sin. When you turn away from your life of old and believe Jesus at his word, it is then that you'll experience true significance. You'll experience true significance with God. Now, the other day, I was on my way here to the building to try and work on, uh, work on today's sermon. And my mind was all over the place, super scatterbrained. And so what I do sometimes with that is I'll go and I'll get a cup of coffee, and that'll be my treat ahead of time. If I get that, then I have to work for two hours, right? And so uh, I went down to a coffee shop. I was already running low on time. I was behind schedule for the day, but I decided I was going to do it. And so I rushed over there. I paid money for coffee that I really didn't have. And then I sat there and I waited for them to make the coffee with time that I really didn't have. But finally, that coffee came out and it smelled amazing. But I told myself I wasn't going to drink it until I was sitting down at the desk to write out today's sermon. So I drove over here, smelling the coffee, ready to drink it. I get to the front door. I reach into my pocket to grab the keys, and the coffee falls out of my hands and spills all over the ground. And I was upset. I had a water bottle in my hand, and I'm not going to lie, in a moment of sin, anger, I don't know, I chucked it. I was so mad that I dropped that coffee. I was looking forward to it. And why was I so upset? It's because the coffee was significant to me. I paid a price with both time and money for that cup of coffee. And it's the same with us. Exodus 19 says that those who keep the covenant are God's own possession. We are that, and God went to great lengths to possess us, to purchase us. Christ went to the point of death for us. God the Father had to pour out his wrath on his only son to purchase our freedom from sin, to purchase our salvation, to make us his. God has paid a great cost to possess us, which means that we are significant. God cares for and loves us deeply and values us more than anyone else ever could. We could fail at everything and still be considered significant solely because God has chosen to save us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God proves his own love to us and that while we were still sinners, not after we had come to God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are significant to God solely because he has done the hard work necessary. He has paid the cost to possess you. You've done nothing and he has done everything. And this is what changes our life. 
This is what gives us true, eternal significance. It's what makes life matter. It is only from this that anyone can ever find true significance. And if you don't understand your significance to God and, and trust Him when He says you're significant, you'll be left searching forever. He has deemed you valuable and has chosen you. And out of this, and that's important, out of the fact that we've experienced significance with God, it's not to earn significance, but out of significance with God, God makes us significant to the world. Notice in Exodus 19, God promises that we will be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. What's the definition of a priest? It's a mediator between God and man. When Christ takes possession of our life, he gives us the privilege to be his mediators. Because we've been reconciled to God, now we get to tell others that they can be reconciled as well. This is why Matthew 28 is so important. When Jesus is looking at his disciples and his last words to them are, go therefore into all of the earth and make disciples, he's telling them the plan, not a plan, the plan. God could have gone about saving the world in so many different ways, and yet he chose to make us plan A. The moment you become a Christian, you're not only significant to God, but you're significant to his plan to save the world. Your participation in the spreading of the gospel, in the sharing of the good news, and in the discipleship of others is valuable. It matters. And so God makes us significant in the process of drawing others to know and to love him. So we're, we're significant with God. We're significant to the world. We're also significant to each other. Significant to the church. At the end of verse 6, God says he will make us a holy nation. As the people of God, we've been set apart from the rest of the world. We're distinct. We're different. And within the church, we've each been given a unique role of contribution. We each contribute in our own way. That's implied by nation where everyone is contributing to society for the greater good, a greater vision. It's also clearly explained by Paul when he calls the church a body. And so when you become a Christian, God gives you tools and gifts that you use to contribute to the church. Your contribution and role within the church matters. Your use of your gifts is significant. And so as we close, if you're, in Christ, if you're a Christian, I encourage you to think through where are you finding significance right now? Right, we also struggle with finding significance in other things. Sanctification is a, is a process my encouragement is that when you find, in those moments, when you realize that you're finding significance in something else, my encouragement for you is to remember and to react. Remember that you are significant to God. Not because of anything that you have done, but simply because He took it upon Himself to purchase us, to possess us. Your worth, your value, and your significance lie in His approval. And his approval alone, and he's already approved you. He knows that you fail, and he loves you anyway. You matter to God because he loves you. So remember that you are significant to God, and then react to that. The Christian life is just one big reaction to the overwhelming love of God. You react by participating in God's work in this world, 
sharing the good news, and by using your gifts to contribute to the people of God. Encouraging others, loving others. And these things don't give you significance, but you do them because you've been deemed significant. It's a reaction. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to think through where you find significance in life. Again, it may not be a bad thing, but I can tell you that it's not an ultimate thing. We were created to find significance in God's love for us. Not in anything that we do, know, say, or have. And so I encourage you to see it all the way through. To ask yourself, where is this taking me? Where does this end? Will I really find lasting significance in this? And then I want you to know that today, you can give your life to the one who values you the most, who loves you the most, who deeply cares for you. He just asks that you lay down those things that, you try, that you're trying to find true significance in and to believe that he's the one who can give real significance in life. He is the one who can provide significance that never ends, never fades, and never fails. Today, you can turn to him and experience this significance. Let's pray to the one who has deemed us significant and ask him to help us to live in light of that. Lord, we thank you for your overwhelming love for us. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have called us significant. Lord, that we matter, that we're important to you. Lord, you could have chosen to let us waste away. You could have chosen to let us chase after the wind. And yet, you stepped out of heaven. Lord, that we might be reconciled to you. Jesus, you humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, and then resurrected. Lord, with the promise that we will one day be with you. And so today, help us to find significance in your approval and your approval alone. And help us to live out of that. Help us to remember and to react, Lord, to continue to give ourselves to your work here in this world. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.